Welcome back to Many Windows, the podcast about education for everyone who cares about education. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined as always by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Hi, Jennifer. Good morning, John. How are you? Oh, good. It's summer vacation, but I don't quite feel like I'm on vacation yet, although I am going to Kauai next week, so I can't complain too much. Very nice. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to Montana next week. Ooh, almost as nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Um, not quite as tropical, uh, but um, but it'll be it'll you know it'll be good to sort of get out of Southern California and see see other things. You know, yeah, get away. I find that when I'm still in town or at home, even if I am taking the day off, I still am answering emails and sure you know, texting and things like that. So I'm not really getting away from work. I have to kind of leave the state and possibly the continental <laughs> United States to get away. I need a, to be a time zone or two right. apart to really right. be able to let go. Yeah. Uh, it It is the bane of our modern existence <laughs> that we can be so connected. Yes. Right. It's great. It's great. But it's also something you have to be really intentional about, or it just becomes something you can't, you can't, you can never disconnect. Right. And then it's crazy making. I was talking to a friend of mine who was saying that um, she went camping and she didn't get any cell service. And initially it was really frightening. And then she just leaned into it right. and was like, this is so great. She has kids and right. one of her children, um, is diabetic. And so she was really freaked out about the fact that she couldn't check her numbers and all this, but she said, I just had to trust that my husband who is a doctor can Mm. handle this without me. (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's great. That's really good. So you almost have to go to a place with no cell service to really disconnect from, from our lives. Yeah. The way that they, the way that they're organized now by technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take me very long to to disengage. Same. Um, regrettably, it doesn't take me very long to re-engage either. Yeah. Right, which is part of the problem, right? Um, yeah, I really try not to. I have a habit of when I start my vacation, already starting the countdown, like, okay, I have seven more days of vacation right. before I'm back. Okay, now I have six more, and I got... I have got to stop this. This is not good. That is a, that is not the best way. I know. That you might do this work. Yeah. It's not the best way. I guess that's what mindfulness is all about, right? It's being in the moment and not counting down the days and hours and minutes of vacation. Right. And I lose some of the joy of being on vacation. Yeah. We'll we'll do mindfulness in another episode. I have some, I have thoughts and hot takes on mindfulness, Jennifer. But that's yeah. not what we're here to talk about today. No, uh, con- today. Continuing the theme of season three, uh, today's episode is going to be a a, a deepish dive into the uh, uh, into the framework of LGBTQ plus literature. And Jennifer's going to lead us through this because she's done some extensive and thoughtful research uh, and has um, kind of a, a, a thesis, a framework 
for us, uh, you know, understanding it for, for, you know, readers and educators who are not themselves members of uh, an LGBTQ plus community or framework. Um, this is literature that perhaps they haven't um, intentionally encountered or encountered in a sustained way. Now, you know, as a, uh, as a gay person myself, I, I have read any number of pieces of literature within this, within this tradition. I certainly haven't read any, everything, and I'm, I certainly would not proclaim myself an expert, but I think I can provide some interesting suggestions for listeners of books to read that are both of historical import and significance and that are, that are current, that are going on right now. And Jennifer, you may bring some of those current things to the conversation before I even do, which will be fine, right? We'll see where, you know, we'll see where you go. So I'm, I'm gonna- I'm so glad that you've set yourself up as an expert in this area. I did not, I did not. <laughs> I explicitly did not. <laughs> because- Why, why? <laughs> I have- I'm being quiz. set up, friends. I have a quiz for you, oh, John. Oh God, no. So we've been, no. you know, we've been talking about uh, doing a couple of eps episodes where we go as we're working on this diversity, equity, and inclusion season, you know, yeah. wanting to get over into LGBTQ plus yeah. literature, specifically young adult literature. I feel like I just discovered it in the 2000s and assumed that's when it uh, first came yeah, out. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, right. No. Oh, but when I first, you know, the first book must be this one that I read. And uh, I soon learned in my research for this episode that I was so wrong. Right. Um, and we have a guest for our next episode. We've been wanting to talk to someone, either an author or screenwriter. We have someone lined up. But I thought yep. before we talk to someone, let's do this little history lesson almost why not right? uh, and and see what john knows about the history of <laughs> nothing is what i'm gonna <laughs> uh, but yes the and then we'll, talk, we'll each you know i love reading ya fiction i've yeah. probably since you know 2000 when i became a middle school english teacher and said oh i gotta start reading some current novels to recommend to my students. I, yep. I, I remember looking up a list of books to try and build my class library and just to build my, and you know, there were books like Call of the Wild on there. I was like, oh, I've never read this. Let me, I, I read about four pages in and was asleep. And right. I thought, oh dear. But then there was this explosion of YA literature. And you know, I've gone to lots of, um, book talks and the festival sure. of books which i love and I, sure. I always go to the ya lit panels so i've i've been following it for the last 20 years but of course i discovered there is a history there so let's are you ready to get into this yeah i mean the extraordinary explosion in ya is something that i've uh i've dabbled in but i certainly haven't done the depth of work that you have right i mean i read ya all the time um, and, you know, enjoy it. I think it's extraordinary, uh, what's being done in that space. Um, and every year seems to be more compelling than the year before. It's like, well, how do you top this year? Oh, look, we've got all this great new stuff coming. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I'm ready. All right. Okay. So we'll, let's just start with, do you know what the first YA novel was that was published? The first book that's considered young adult fiction. When was it published? Take a guess on when it was published 
and you'll get extra points if you know the name or the author. Maybe something like the 1960s? Ooh, the considered the first young adult fiction was a book published in, the, in 1942 okay. called 17th Summer oh. by Maureen Daly. It's a coming of age story and it is definitely a first romance. Okay. Uh, so Goodreads, here's the description on Goodreads. Until the summer before college, Angie Morrow didn't really date. Her mother didn't like her to go out so much, but no one, not even Angie's mother, can resist the charm of strikingly handsome Jack Duluth. His good looks grab Angie's attention from the moment in June when Jack throws Angie a smile at McKnight's drugstore. So there you go, summer romance. She's 17. So this is considered the first young adult fiction. And yeah. you know, in a lot of the panels I've gone to over the years where they interview YA authors, the question always comes up, something along the lines of why why YA fiction? Why do you write right, YA right. fiction, right. right? And the answer is always, I didn't intend to do that necessarily. Mm -hmm. My first novel, that wasn't my intention. But because my protagonist was a teenager, the publisher said, guess what? You've just written young adult fiction. Right. Uh, and so I always, I think that's interesting. So that was the very first book that, oh, we have a 17 year old. This is our, so that's known as our first book. Okay. Okay, this is an easier question. Question two. Yeah, okay, we'll see. No, no, you, you got this. This famous book was published in 1967 and ushered in a new wave of YA fiction. It's a favorite of high school teachers everywhere. Hmm. Ah, when I tell you, you're going to kick yourself. Well, it can't be a wrinkle in time because that's too... That's too early. It's probably not from the file, from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler, which I love. Yes, same. Uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. That's seventies, I think. These are all good guesses, though. Yeah, they're yeah. all a little not I'm dancing around it. Yep. Yeah, tell me, I'm gonna kill myself. The Outsiders. Oh come on, John Cassie. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> S. Yeah, of course. Of course. Essie Hinton, right? She was like 12 when she wrote that book too, wasn't she? She was 15. Yeah, so she's super young, right? Of, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. She first wrote this as a short story for her high school English assignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And her teacher encouraged her to turn it into a novel. I mean, it's kind it's a little bit short for a novel, but so she was 17 when it was published. Amazing. Yeah, in a in an interview with her that uh, in 1981 that in Seventeen magazine, she says uh, that she was really frustrated with the lack of pop culture being produced for teenagers at the time, and she said, "I wanted to read books that showed teenagers outside the life of Mary Jane went to prom, and when yeah. I couldn't find any, I decided to write one myself. I created a world with no adult authority figures where kids lived by their own rules." Which is certainly true with that book. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's really tight, right? Um, I mean, you know, your point is, your, your point that it's that it's so short, right? Uh, I mean, I think we live in a world where 
more rigorous editing would be mm. would be in the service of readers <laughs> and narratives, right? You know, like this is a 300 page book that ought to be 200, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and, and, and you know, outsiders, extraordinary, extraordinarily influential, right? Yes. And shaping the voice of many, many writers to come, right? Yeah, so incredible right. that it was written by a teenager. But, and right. here it's, you know, the first book for teenagers by a teenager. It's, right. And, and just so well done. Yeah, so of course, that's, that kind of started this era of, of YA. Um, yeah. But let's now focus in a little more on our first, what, what I'll say, LG novels. Our first, because that's where it started. The first yeah, novels, gay, right? gay novels, were written about either lesbians or gays, let's be honest. Right. So do you, what was, do you know, what was the first gay YA novel? When was it published? Do you know what it is? I don't. It was published in 1969. Okay. It's called I'll Get There, It Better Be Worth the Trip okay. by John Donovan. Love this title. Love it. <laughs> Love, Love it. it. Yeah. So the description. Never heard of this book. The description from Goodreads is when the grandmother who raised him dies, Davy Ross, a lonely 13 year old boy, must move to Manhattan to live with his estranged mother. Between an alcohol infused lectures about her self sacrifice and awkward visits with his distant father, Davy's only comfort is his beloved dashing Fred. Things start to look up when he and a boy from school become friends, but when their relationship takes an unexpected turn, Davy struggles to understand what happened and what it might mean. Mm. So it kind of, it, it really leaves it there. Yeah. There's, there's this one kind of awkward moment, I think maybe a kiss, maybe just some allusions to that. And that's about it. That's kind of as far as it really goes. Right. And in fact, the early years of LGYA fiction is primarily about teens just experimenting with homosexual right. feelings, right. but ultimately emerging as straight. So it kind of mirroring the times, the crushes are thought of as a phase not actually a viable lifestyle. Right. Right. In the limited um, LGY fiction of the 1970s, the prevailing message is that gay and lesbian people are doomed to be alone or to be punished if they right. act on their feelings. Right. And the, the punishment comes either from God in the form of car crashes or suicides or commitment to mental institutions. So that's kind of the um the YA fiction from the 1970s these are the prevailing themes not not particularly uh happy right well i mean you know you 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 sort of hit it when you uh when you used uh the word lifestyle right which is how these things are framed in the late 60s and 70s right it's not it's not it's not an identity. It's not a. It's not a fundamental aspect of one's, of one's personhood. That's, that's that's being talked about here, right? It's um, uh, you know, a, a exotic and hard to understand choice that, uh, you know, the person is making, um, for, who knows what reason kind of thing, right? Yeah, and it's so. Almost a cautionary tale. 
Right, right. I mean, keep in mind, these books are published before the, um, you know, American Psychological Association has removed homosexuality from the DSM, right? That's exactly. uh, that's 1973 or four, if memory serves, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you've got these books that are framed in a kind of moral panic, mm -hmm. right, uh, you know, kind of way. Um, and they're responding to Stonewall, mm -hmm. gay liberation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in a way that reflects their uh, very narrow-minded conservatism, right? And they think they, they probably think they're being progressive, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, they're, they're not, they're not the sort of books that, you know, if I was, if I'd picked them up at age 10, that I would have felt like, all right, well, this is an affirming message that helps me to sort out what I'm feeling. Well, and you may have actually had a hard time even finding these books. Yeah, sure. Because the early LGYA books were published by small independent publishing houses. Right. And were often only published in paperback. Right. Uh, and you talk about the Stonewall riots, that actually is when things started to change in the publishing world. So as the gay rights movement gained momentum, then there were publishers that were more willing to take a chance yep. on um, LG books for teens. Right. So like in the 1970s, there was only one LG YA book published per year. Wow. So there you go. You can do the math on that and figure out how many there were in the yeah. 1970s. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I assure you, I was looking for them. Yeah. And if I didn't find them and I'm a pretty good user of a library. I was going to say, right. it's probably better that you didn't. Right. Right. <laughs> None of them ended happily. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's true about any, basically yeah. any of this content that I did, uh, you know, that I did get my hands on, you know, I can remember being uh, home from, from school at like age 13 or whatever in HBO, you know, was showing the 1970 film, The Boys in the Band, which was remade for Netflix just this year, right? And that that movie is so problematic. The, the 1970s version is so, so, so problematic that, um, you know, I think, I think it was frankly damaging that, mm -hmm that I found it, it would have been far better not to, right? To keep looking, you know? Yeah, it was almost like in one way, um, recognizing that people have these feelings, right? Like you're not alone. You're not the only one who has these feelings. However, you don't really wanna act on them and you don't really wanna consider this as, you know, a, a long- -term. A valid identity. Yeah, because it's only gonna lead to a life of, of frustration and difficulty. And, you know, and that, I mean, that was kind of true at the times, but reinforcing those stereotypes that that's really the only way um, yeah. to live uh, may have done more harm than good, like you said. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly wasn't helpful. Right, right. Right. It's actually, it's not until, so in the, in the end of the 1970s, Okay. Now you start to get some books where there are secondary gay and lesbian characters in the books that are accepted by their straight protagonists. Yeah. 
It's often, you know, a, um, a friend. Sure. Uh, parents are divorced and, you know, one parent is spending a lot of time with their very good friend who moves in, who's the same sex. And, you know, they yep. realize that there's a loving relationship there. So they're all kind of secondary characters. The first book like that is by M.E. Kerr in 1977. It's called, it's titled, I'll Love You When You're More Like Me. Mm. And uh, it's, so in this book, a, I love this description, uh, Sabra St. Amour, a reluctant teenage soap opera star, (laughs) insert influencer, (laughs) internet influencer, spending the summer in the Hamptons with her domineering mother. She's recuperating from an ulcer and a nervous breakdown. Mm. Walking on the beach one day, she meets Wally Witherspoon, son of the local undertaker, and his best friend, (laughs) Charlie. (laughs) What's going on with this book? Wally has problems of his own. I'm sure. Being engaged to a girl he doesn't love while still pining for his ex and his father's insistence that he follow in the family business of undertaking. It's like a Hallmark uh, uh, channel movie, right? Yeah, Charlie has just come out of the closet, which earned him a broken nose care of his father. Oh, so I love right? I love arbitrary violence when you when you reveal yourself. Yeah. This is why he's met with Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's clearly being played for kind of larkiness, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is also really problematic, right? Uh, this, this teenage soap reluctant teenage soap opera star. I almost want to read the book just to find out how that happened. Was she like walking down the street one day and someone was like, I got to cast you in our new season of the star always rises or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. It, um, it's very clear that this book is, is likely to be sort of ridiculously of its time. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. I wonder if it's still in print. I think so. I'm, I was amazed as I was looking up uh, a lot of these. Some of them are available on Audible, and wow, um, a lot of them you can still find. So there could be some fun, re- fun summer reading here. That would definitely be uh, a fun book. Is there to- any scholarship on this on 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 these sort of early days of GLBTQ or LGBTQ um, YA stuff? There's a great book that um, is written by Michael Cart, and it's called The Heart Has Its Reasons, Young Adult Literature with Gay, Lesbian, Queer, I don't, I don't think I wrote down the rest of the title, but I, this kept coming up in some of the articles that I was yeah. reading as a reference book, and I was able to, you know, in Google Books, they'll give you some sample pages to look at, yeah. Yeah. and I was reading a lot of it, and it it talks about all these firsts. And then I believe there's even kind of an index at the back where year by year, it mentions the, all of the books with a little brief summary about each of these books. And when you have like, you know, the first, um, uh, you know, in the eighties, you start getting books about characters with AIDS. Yeah. Right. So then that's again, mirroring what's happening um, in real life. Yeah. Uh, so there was some, that that is a book that I would absolutely recommend purchasing. Um, 
as a reference book if you're interested in this topic. There's, yeah. there's a couple of little short articles that I found that led me to this. One is A Brief History of Queer YA Lit by Michael Waters. That was published in 2016. Okay. Um, so there was a couple, yeah, there's definitely, you can find some short articles, but that book, every every article that I read pointed me back to this book by Michael Cart. So. Yeah, okay. So there is some scholarship on that. I figured there would be, but yeah. Yep. Great book. Um, okay, so now we're in the 80s. Okay, so here, okay, here's a, this. you got a 50% chance of getting this question mm-hmm. right. Yeah, okay. I won't get it right. Which appeared first in YA fiction? Was it the wholehearted acceptance of a gay relationship or a lesbian relationship? Lesbian. Ah, oh, you nailed that one. Why did you say that? Uh, historically in the United States, uh, uh, gay male sexuality has always been viewed as more problematic and disorderly than, than lesbian relationships. So, so, uh, yeah, you know, you 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 look at legal, you know, the the legal history would point you to the correct answer, right? You know, this mm-hmm. continuous anti-male, male and male uh, legislation, virtually never any that references women. So interesting. Right? So yeah, ha- had to be right. So famously known as the first lesbian love story with a happy ending. Yeah. It's Nancy Gardner's Annie on My Mind was published in 1982. Well, good. So the 80s were starting to get we're getting there representation. So it's the story of two teenage girls whose friendship blossoms into love, despite the pressures of family and school that threaten their relationship. They promise to be true to one another and their feelings. Now, and it well, ends well. Yes, it an- ends well. This book has been banned from many school libraries and of was course. publicly burned in Kansas City, of course. <laughs> There are some other books that aren't YA fiction um, that came up as well. Like there's a historical novel about two 19th century lesbians called Patience and Sarah by Isabel Miller that was published in 1972 um, about a relationship between Patience White, um, an educated painter, and Sarah Dowling, a cross-dressing farmer whose romantic bond doesn't sit well with the puritanical New England farming community in which they live, but they choose to live together and love each other freely, even though there's no precedent for their relationship. So that was in 1972. But actually the very first novel ever written about a lesbian is called Spring Fire. And it was published in 1952 by Mary Jane Meeker, but she wrote under the pen name of Vin Packer. Okay. So in this book, a college freshman falls for her sorority sister, but it ends tragically when they're discovered. One is sent to a mental institution and the other one rejects her homosexual, homosexual yeah. feelings. Classic. So Amazon describes this book as lesbian pulp fiction and a steamy page turner. <laughs> Listen to this description. Her silky black hair, her low cut gown, her sparkling sorority pin, It's Autumn Rush in the Tri-Epsilon House and the new pledge, Susan Mitch. Mitch, to her friends, trembles as the fastest girl on campus, the lovely Lita Taylor, crosses the room toward her for a dance. Will Lita corrupt Mitch? Or will the strong and silent Mitch draw the queen of 
try F into a forbidden world of lesbian love. So Springfire was the first lesbian paperback novel, and, right. but it sold 1.5 million copies in 1952. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. What does that say, right? Right. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of this kind of pulp content that yeah. that sort of circulates into, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus spaces, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, fascinating. So that's kind of cool. The first positive acceptance of a gay character in YA fiction is not until 1989. Yeah. It was Francesca Leah Block's Wheatsy Bat. I don't know this book. Oh, you don't know that one? No. Okay, so that's, I mean, Wheatsy's the main character and she has a friend who comes out to her and she's just, you know, so nonchalant about it. And uh, it's a it's a great little scene. Um, nice. so they're each looking for, she and her best friend, I think his name is Dirk. Uh, they're looking for, uh, you know, looking for their loves. Right. And, uh, uh, they call it when they're going out, like looking, you know, looking for their loves, they call it duck hunting and Dirk <laughs> ends up meeting a guy, I think named duck, you know, so it's of like, course. oh, it, right. it's, it's pretty cute. It's pretty cute. Right. Um, but yeah, 1989. Wow. Yeah. I mean, by that point I'm an adult, so I'm going to maybe miss yes. Yes. some YA right. stuff, right? I only know of this <clears throat> book from, you know, people referencing it now i it is a it is a little bit of a classic for ya authors they'll talk yeah. about this um uh, i'm trying to think of who it was that i most recently heard talk, the plain white tees do you know do you remember who wrote that i don't she, she i know that book though it'll come it'll come back to me i'll i'll mention that um but yeah she i think was influenced by francesca leah block nice all right, now let's get into what is the first YA novel with a LG teen of color? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I know. The first one was actually published in 1976. Oh, wow. And it's called Ruby by Rosa Guy. Ruby okay. moves from the West Indies to the mean streets of Harlem. Mm -hmm. But she finds a love that leads her through the painful transition from girl to woman. So that's actually the first one. But really, LGBTQ plus YA literature remains disproportionately white for much of, mm -hmm. you know, the a super white, 80s yeah. and 90s. Yeah, super white. The only the the one exception that you may you may have come up with was Jacqueline Woodson. Yeah, yeah. She, she wrote a book in 1995 called um, "From the Notebooks of the Melanin Sun." And let's see. If yeah, I I I have read. Uh, I have read some Jacqueline Woodson, but I have not read that. I hadn't either. Um, but I definitely, she, you know, she is well known in circles for um, main characters of color who um, are 
actually portrayed in a positive light. Right. Right. So, and in this one, it's, it is, um, it's the main character's mother has some big news that she is in love with a woman. Mm -hmm. And so now he, the main character is a boy uh, and he has to make the decision. Does he stand by his mother? Even if it means losing friends, or does he abandon the only family he's ever known? So that's again, like this keeps coming up again and again, where it's a mother, a close friend. And then the main character is grappling with, you know, do they stand by this person? Right. Um, so it's kind of like the the characters are still really secondary characters. Yes. And it's really not until the 2000s that we get main characters telling their story mm-hmm. from first person point of view about, you know, and with a happy in ending. In YA. Yes. In yeah. YA with a happy ending. Um, but and then in the 2000s, you also see you see an explosion of LGBTQ plus um, yeah. YA literature with authors such as Nina LaCour, David Leviathan, and uh, Melinda Lowe. Yep. Definitely, I think my first experience was with David uh, Leviathan. Um, he actually co-wrote a book uh, with John Green, who I'm like a big mm-hmm. fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a button that says John Green and I go way back and it's because at the festival of books, Funny. I was, um, I went to like a panel of YA authors and here's John Green with his very first book looking for Alaska. Yeah. You know, I went and got the book signed and I really enjoyed it. And then a couple of years later, he's, you know, sitting by himself at a penguin book table and he had just written the abundance of Catherine's. And so I had, I had that book and I got him right. to sign it, you know, and then 10 years later, I'm, I'm going for, to try and see him for the fault in our stars. And it's a huge auditorium full of screaming girls. Right. Right. But, right. So that, you know, John Green and YA right. fiction, but he wrote this wonderful book called Will Grayson, Will Grayson with David Leviathan. And there is this amazing character called Tiny Cooper, who's hey. the big black football star who also it loves to sing and be in musical theater and in okay. drama and he's just such a wonderful character later a book came out called hold me closer tiny dancer and it's okay. kind of tiny cooper's story <clears throat> nice uh, it's it's so it's adorable um that's so i that's my first experience in the 2000s this is where i feel like okay now i'm i'm actually catching catching up right so, to where we where we are what do you um what's your first book that you remember with a gay character or a lesbian character i think i i I don't i don't think i actually encountered gay characters in in fiction until i was reading as an adult Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of consciously looking for it. Right. So uh, the first book that comes to mind is Edmund White's A Boy's Own Story. Mm. It's not YA. Okay. Mm -hmm. But Edmund White is uh, kind of one of the grand masters of American fiction. Certainly the, you could argue, one of the preeminent gay writers of um, 
you know, the later half of the 20th century and in the 21st, right? And, you know, it's a, uh, you know, kind of an autobiographical novel. It's got kind of memoirish kind of qualities, right? Uh, but of growing up in the 50s, okay? This book was published in 1982. I read it in probably 1986, mm. 1987, something like that, right? You know, by, by that time, I'm at a university, so I have access to a university bookstore, right? And there are, and University of Massachusetts, where I went, had a very active um, gay and lesbian student organization. It had very active um, gender studies, women's studies department, right? So uh, these were things that one could just routinely find. Mm -hmm. Just walk into town and every bookstore will have all of this kind of content, right? That it's not just buried, it's sort of foregrounded, right? So yeah, I think probably that is, uh, you know, the first time that I encountered a, um, you know, a, a gay character who wasn't sort of superfluous to the main right the main through line of the story right right i mean inevitably i've encountered them yeah as the you know funny sidekick or mm -hmm. you know secondary but not primary that was i mean that was a common trope in the 1980s was a straight girl falls for a gay boy like oh sorry for you or, you know, gay boy finds the drama club or- Right, you know, right. Yeah, it's always that kind of thing, right? You know, or one parent starts a relationship with a same-sex partner. I mean, like that was kind of, that was all the books of the 80s, um, again, dealing with, it's just secondary characters. It's not their story. Um, right. It's the main character, like you said, encounters them or they're a friend or a parent. Right. And it's, and you know, the whole thing is a profound failure of representation, right? Right. Which our guests next time will, will speak about, you know, in, in more detail, right? Right. Um, you know, it isn't great to be, uh, to not conform to some kind of mainstream um, understanding of, mm -hmm. of identity and to have no context that says, yeah, you, you know, you're not this, but you're, you're good. You're good. Don't worry. Don't sweat it. You're good. Right. Yeah. There's none of that. Yeah. At least not, you know, when I'm growing up. Right. right. You know, and right. I was born in 1967. Right. Well, and then, you know, so I kept kind of referencing throughout because up until the two thousands, it wasn't LGBTQ plus literature. It was LG. That was Full it, stop. Yeah. Right? There was, a, you know, do you, the, the first YA book with a, a trans character. Any idea when that was published or what that was? I don't know what it is, but I'm going to say no earlier than 2010. Actually, in 2004. 2004. Okay. 2004, there's a book called Luna by Julianne Peters. So the main character's sibling is coming to terms with the fact that she's a trans girl. So it is still that same trope uh, or um, a theme of where it's the main character knows somebody who's going through yeah. it. But you're, you're right on that stories from the perspective of um, a young adult who's thinking about their 
sexual identity and their gender identity. Yeah, yeah. Really not those are to, right. to, you know, 2010 and uh, uh, the teens there. You're absolutely right. Right. The awareness that those things are different, right? Mm -hmm. Affectional orientation, right? You know, sexual orientation, yep. right? And gender identity. Um, the fact that they're, they're, they're distinct and yeah, more productively of, so, thought of as distinct, that's a, that's a function of the 2010s. Yeah, so there's a couple of novels, um, early novels about characters who are transitioning, the main character or the character, and one is called Beautiful Music for Ugly Children. Yep. That was 2012, and then there's one called Freak Boy um, from 2013 by Kristen Elizabeth Clark. Yep. So, you know, those are quite recent. Um, right. This is for, for listeners coming to the conversation uh, without a sense of the, of the history, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is all certainly of the last 45, 50 years, say, mm -hmm. and with regard to, to students um, having questions about or having personal uh, you know, kind of experience with questions on that gender identity spectrum. That's very, that's very recent that the space was opened in the culture to have these conversations, right? Yeah. And it certainly could not have hurt to have had the conversations in the LG space, mm -hmm. even, even as unrepresentative and un unhelpful in some respects, right? You know, maybe maybe we had to go through a certain a certain period of time, right? Where, uh, you know, we were talking about things in ways that were really not very affirming to get to a place where they, you know, slightly were more, right? Uh, you know, I can remember the, you know, the first time, uh, you know, sort of interacting with the question of, you know, gayness in any kind of context, like a school context or whatever it was, it was this cover story in Newsweek from the, you know, early 1986, right? You know, the growing up gay, right? And it was not, it was not negative, right? It was just, here's, here's what this is like right now in American culture, right? And it completely scandalized my my uh, my government and American society teacher, right? Like we, you know, we we were not allowed to read that art to, to read that edition, right? Um, we read Newsweek every week, but we didn't read it that week. But I read it in the I read it in the library, right? Mm -hmm. And a completely sort of totally normalized. This is just some people. This is this is how their life is organized, right? It's like what? Yeah, I mean, some people you know like chicken and some people like fish. Who cares, right? Right. It's 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 banality was the takeaway, right? Mm -hmm. And so you know what you need is characters in books who are gay and who cares. Mm -hmm. characters on television who are lesbians, but that's not really the issue. 
that's all a function of like the 2000, 2015. Right. And, 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 and going forward. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the two thousands, right. You know, you're, you're, um, you know, you're gay and lesbian, you know, bi and trans characters mm -hmm. in, in media. That's, that's, that's what they are. Right. They're not anything else. They're that. Right. You know, what's interesting is that uh, the first YA protagonist who self identifies as a bisexual is in a book from the 19, from 1997 by M.E. Kerr again called yeah. Hello, I Lied. Okay. But then in the in like 2009, 2013, you have these speculative sci fi books like ash and proxy and the culling there so i find it so interesting that it's in sci-fi like yeah. it's, it's like oh here's this futuristic other world where people can be bisexual and it's not a big deal right yeah that's that, that you can open that up in a sci-fi framework right and it just becomes oh on on this planet Right. They have, you know, it's very Ursula again. It's very left-handed darkness, right? Right. You know, you can do that in a way that doesn't threaten, right? Well, it's not Earth, so you know, of course, these people have these exotic ways of living, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I I told you that my the first book that I read that I loved. Um, was with uh was will grayson will grayson um, yeah but then i also remember so that but that was a gay character yeah uh, there was a book that i read called ask the passengers by a.s king written okay. in 2012 and um that's a lesbian character okay so that's the first time the main character is lesbian and has a positive experience Okay. And then um, also, one of my favorite books is called Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with this mm -hmm. one. Written in 2013. So she, the story is uh, a girl who's a twin and they, they both go to college, but the twin kind of wants her own life. And right. so the main, the main character is, um, it loves to write. She doesn't ever say this outright, but it's Harry Potter fan fiction. So in the book, you get these, <laughs> yeah. you get these um, excerpts from her fan fiction that she's writing. Okay. And the character is Simon Snow. And he, you know, is at wizarding school. Of course. And he gets stuck with this roommate, Baz. So it kind of imagines like, what if Harry and Draco actually were roommates and mm. then they fall in love? That's... <laughs> They have a kind of tumultuous relationship, yeah, you know, yeah, of, yeah. of first being antagonistic towards each other, but ultimately falling in love. So this became such a popular idea from this book that Rainbow Rowell has gone on to write three more books that are just about Simon it's Snow. It's um, I was gonna say John Snow. It's Simon Snow. Simon Snow, it's right? Simon Snow and Baz, and you know their adventures together. Classic. Yeah, so I love that. I you gotta love that. Love it. Um, so, and then I just noticed when I was doing my research for this that an, a third book about uh, those two has just been published. So I'm gonna be getting that next and reading that. Um, yeah, read it in Kauai. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Cause I love, I do, it's 
they're they're great um uh and a lot of fun for any harry potter fans because it's kind of like an alternate version of harry potter which is which is great what about you what are some books that you're familiar with you know more recent uh that you would recommend to to well teenagers or anyone working with teenagers trying to get a book into their hands that just really normalizes. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh let, let me, let me, let me go back to um, that, that Edmund White, a boy's own story, right? Okay. Um, autobiographical, certainly readable by a high school age student. Okay. Um, it's of its time. Okay. And therefore, you know, of its, of its context. Right. But a person who is, you know, who's interested in exploring how uh, gay voices became more uh, uh, more able to kind of carve out a space in a in in you know in the literature, right? You 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 could do much much worse than this book, which is beautifully written, right? Um, Edmund White's language is 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 just. It goes, it goes beyond perfection sometimes, right? I mean, the book isn't perfect, but you know, his writing, the language is beautiful, right? So, sort of an you know, an older, right? You know, like a high school age, eleventh mm-hmm. grader sort of thing, right? Um, but I've got, I got three that I've looked at this year, just okay. this year, okay, that I think are quite worthy, okay. Do you have a list of some stuff that's contemporary right now as well? I have a couple things too. Okay. Um, that I want All to right. Bring. So why don't we why don't we sort of go back and forth ish? Okay. okay? Um, so the first one is uh, a book called Cemetery Boys. Okay? Oh. Okay. Okay. And I think I've talked to you about this. It's by a, a, an author, first timer, named uh, Aiden Thomas, and it was uh, showered with awards in 2020 when it was published. Uh, the basic idea here is you've got your sort of paranormal YA Mm -hmm. kind of, kind of shtick, right? Okay. The, the main character, trans boy is a trans boy. Okay. But his family is Latin and they won't accept him as a boy. Okay. This family is responsible for managing uh, ghosts, graveyards, things like this, okay? And only men can perform certain tasks, okay? So our main character decides, you know what? My family won't, won't, won't allow me to have this ceremony I'm going to go and talk to the, uh, you know, to the, to the, to the angel, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk myself. Okay. Uh, and, um, and of course the problem is that the supernatural forces are like, yep, you're a boy, fine, but we're going to saddle you with this very, very problematic ghost. Okay. Of a of a uh, of a uh, uh, of a character, I don't want to give it away, right? Yeah. Of a character who's very 
interestingly problematic, okay? So now you've got this character who has these powers that maybe he ought not to have. And he's got a ghost who he has to shepherd who all of his family can see. He shouldn't have this ghost because he shouldn't have these powers, right? Right. And it's all set within this sort of context in, in Southern California. It is a fantastic book worth all of its praise that it's gotten. Uh, just a little bit of like, you can see a twist coming at the end, uh-huh. right? Um, but to me, it doesn't matter because the character work is, is, is what the book is about. I mean, definitely read this book, okay? I mean, just read it on its own merit. Let alone, and if you want to get a sense of what, um, you know, because it's written by a, a you know a trans author, right? Ooh, okay. So you know, if you want, if you want to get a sense of what these questions feel like and what exploring them feels like, in, uh, you know, in this context, then, you know, you could do much worse than this book, which is a dynamite book. Tour through it. Okay, what about you? So one book that um, I recommend to everybody, and this is not fiction, but uh, I love it so much is The 57 Bus. Yeah, right. We've talked about this book. By Dashka um, Ladder. And it was Slater, excuse me. And it was written in 2017, but it tells the story of a um, non-binary child and it's it's and his experience you know this this tragic experience that he had on i'm sorry that they had on a bus um they go by sasha and they live in oakland and they're on a bus and then it also tells a story of a black boy who's in oakland who's with his buddies on this same bus sees sasha in the back of the bus who kind of presents like a boy but is wearing a skirt and so the, they're messing around on the bus. Uh, I think his I, name is Richard. Richard and his buddies are messing around. One of them dares him. Oh, they have a lighter. Like, oh, light, light that kid's skirt on fire. And the skirt just goes up in flame. And Sasha gets second and third degree burns on their legs. And so this is a true, this is a real incident that happened. And right. so the author, uh, Miss Slater, goes back and she retells the story using she, uh, she has text messages back and forth from Sasha and their friends, um, interviews mom and dad, has mute, has uh, uh, newspaper clippings, interviews Richard, and um, Richard's like kind of like guidance counselor at school and tells both of their stories. And it's so beautifully done, interspersed with, you know, chapters about like what are all these terms that are kind of new for the straight community of what is asexuality? What is, you know, uh, um, what is non-binary? What, right. All of these things and, and kind of define some things. I read it with my grown-up book club uh, and I think it, everybody loved it. I think it's an important read for people who are trying to understand the non-binary um, life and and as we have more and more 
kids that are identifying this way and are questioning, I think it's so important that adults understand this a little better. And this is the first book that I read that helped me understand a little better. And now, as I was just looking, you know, there's a ton of books that are coming out where the main character is dealing with this. One of my favorites is uh, The Symptoms of Being Human. Do you know that one? I'm trying to- I don't. Okay, I got to look up who wrote that. It's on my shelf over there, but um, that's it. I really love that one too. And let me look that up here. I would have to be able to spell correctly to do this. What about you? What are your other... Okay, so uh, uh, another uh, book that I read this year, very short, okay, uh, and again, probably for slightly older, okay, is a book called Upright Women Wanted, okay, by a woman named Sa uh, Sarah Gailey, okay, and uh, imagine a sort of post-apocalyptic old west okay westworld <laughs> right where uh where the main characters are queer librarians okay who are uh also spies and go okay Awesome. And you've got you you know you've got a handful of characters who are trying to work out issues in their you know in their lives, okay? While doing the work of being librarians, right? You know, sort of de deliverers of information, knowers of things, right? It's super short, very engaging. Uh, and I think uh, certainly older older teens would would riff with it. It's not a YA book, qua YA, but Definitely, definitely worth looking at. Uh, Symptoms of Being Human is written by Jeff Garvin. And I think that we may have actually talked a little bit about, I'm trying to remember if this made it on the podcast in season two, when we um, were talking to Mike um, from the LGBTQ Center, yeah. he recommended it to me. Um, uh, but I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or if that was in an after discussion. Yeah, and I don't know. I really enjoyed that. Um, a slightly more recent book uh, was published in 2020 is You Should See Me in a Crown, <laughs> Leah Johnson. And she is, she is, it's great because she's um, uh, a black girl in this uh, small, rich, prom-obsessed Midwestern town. Okay. Uh, and she just feels too Black, too poor, and too awkward to live her best life there. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just like what I like about um, some of these books that are coming out now, this one, as well as one of my absolute favorite books that's called, that was actually from... 2014, but I always recommend it because I love it. It's called I'll Give You the Sun by Jandy Nelson. 
Yeah. And the characters, you know, there are just, there's this one and the Truly Devious series. Right. Um, right, that I love so much uh, that I should, by Maureen Johnson. First of all, it's a mystery series. And, but the characters in all three of these books, there are, there are LGBTQ characters just, you know, as part of their lives. It's Correct. not, it, it's not a theme. It's not about right. that. It's, they're just integrated into the stories and just like it's integrated into our lives now. And so I love that. I love that that's where we're going now. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Truly Devious series, there's, you know, a, a non-binary character and it's just, it's all of the, the whole, the whole spectrum. I yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, the last one I'll mention is uh, from a couple of years ago. Uh, it's called Sorted. Uh, growing out, uh, growing up, coming out, and finding my place—a transgender memoir by an author named Jackson Bird, who's a noted uh, kind of YouTuber speaker. Um, made made his name in the uh, back to Harry Potter in the, the Harry Potter community, right? And I became aware of his work through this podcast I listened to called Imaginary Worlds, where when the J.K. Rowling mm. transphobic uh-huh. uh, tweet storm business really began to go kind of crazy, um, there was a, a an episode of Imaginary Worlds where the host there was trying to come to terms with what do what do readers owe authors? What do authors owe readers? Right? Can you continue to read in a in a in a fictional universe where the author itself has become an issue? Right? This sort of thing. Right? And uh, you know, Jackson had some really good good thoughts on on what that means and how problematic it is to be in that place, right? And this particular memoir, uh, you know, Jackson Bird's got a very approachable voice. You know, he's grown up in the 90s in Texas, no role models, very clear sense of himself that something isn't, something's mm -hmm. not, not the way it's supposed to be, right? And it just very, very uh, directly but accessibly tells the story. Well worth looking at. There's a great resource I also want to leave everybody with, which is um, Lambda Literary, their website, you know, yeah. Lambda gives awards. Yep. Um, and I was just looking on this website. There's a book that I just purchased on my Kindle that um, is my next book that I want to read. And it's actually uh, it's won like every award there is. It's won the Lambda Award, but it's also won the Coretta Scott King Honor Award and the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. It's cover. It's 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 won it all, and it's called King and the Dragonflies. Okay. Just published in 2021 by um, Kason Lallander. Sorry, Calendar. Uh, and it's a middle grade book. So here's the description. When King's brother Khalid dies unexpectedly, he's left reeling with, uh, with Khalid's final words to end his friendship with his best friend over rumors that he's gay. 
However, he soon learns that Sandy's being abused by his father and vows to help him. Poignant, heartbreaking, and so important, King and the Dragonflies explores race, sexuality, grief, and identity in a relatable way for middle grade readers. So that I think's the next, you know, that's amazing. the next place now, going from YA, 17-year-old, 16-year-old, mm-hmm. down to middle grade and making it accessible for middle grade students. Right. Um, to talk about and learn about and read about um, issues of identity and interview that intersexual that intersection of identity around color, race, right, right. and sexuality, right, and gender. I mean, so that's where it has I, to go, right? I think we're going to see more and more books like this. There are. Uh, like I told you, in the seventies, there were like seven or ten books. Right. Published. Nothing. Nothing. And now I was looking at something. Uh, recently, 2021, a list, and there were like 270 books on this list of books Correct. published about LGBTQ plus uh, books right. in 2021. So, you know, how right. far we've come. It's great. Right. There's so much out there now. Um, you yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's so great for, um, for young people. Yeah. have not just a little voice, right, but to have a multiplicity of voices, giving them all kinds of different angles on um, on what mm-hmm. their life might might look like, right? Mm-hmm. And how they might, you know, how they might develop and how they might, you know, might see themselves, right? So it's an opportunity to, you know, to to have not just representation, but representations. Right. Right. Which is amazing. Yeah. Well, it's been fun talking with you about this and learning some of the history. Big Uh, time. It was fun doing the research. Not just- Well, I mean, because this is an area of this particular literature that you don't you know, that you, you didn't have that sort of control over. And now, now you've got a sense of it, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to read some of these books yes. from the seventies, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. 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 I'm going to, uh, when I put the, the show notes together, I'm going to go on to, you know, the web and see if I can find some of these things. Cause, uh, you know, I ought to have read them. Right. Yeah. I wonder if any of them have been sort of put together in an anthology, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that would be, That'd be smart. Mm-hmm. I bet you. I bet you could make some money doing that. Yeah, and I think uh, some of these, you know, I would kind of like read the comments right. of people you know, who read them, and they're talking about reading them in high school classes and in college classes. Right. So they're they are becoming uh, works of scholarly renown that it's important to go back and read these pieces right literature that existed because they do tell a story and they do tell uh, our history yeah uh, yeah so and that's important well and, yeah. and you know ne- next time we're going to be joined by a writer in this case a screenwriter who will be able to talk about the value of representation from his angle as a writer and you know we'll no doubt raise some of these books with him when we mm-hmm. chat next time mm-hmm. um, but for now listeners thanks for listening we look forward to hearing your feedback and uh, you know get out and read some of these books um, 
you know, the earlier ones are interestingly problematic, but I'm telling you, you could pick virtually any of these books, uh, you know, that have been published in the last three or four years and you will, you will not go wrong. I'm going to check out some Simon Snow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jennifer, until next time. Good to see you, John. Same. Bye. Bye.